Alright, well, welcome everybody. Today is Wednesday, August 4th in 2021, and this is the Get Smarter and Make Stuff podcast. Uh, today we're welcoming to the show uh, someone I've always enjoyed talking to. Uh, I've had the opportunity to interview her a number of times on the, my, the prior podcast, the Cognicast, that I used to do once upon a time. She actually was the host of that show as well, um, and so we've, we've had a chance to chat uh, many times, both on air, as it were, and off She's a super interesting lady with a lot of really uh, cool things to say every time I talk to her. Um, I will sort of leave it at that, though, because I'm sure you'll understand for yourself in a minute what I mean. But I will welcome to the show Karen Meyer. Hello, Karen. Hello. I'm just so pleased to be on here with you. <laughs> yeah, well, I've uh, you know, I mean, I was I'm very fortunate. I have I have many, many interesting friends. Um, and, you know, when I sat down to do the show, I was like, well, let me scribble down a few people that I might want to, you know, have on in some of the early episodes. And your name certainly came very quickly to mind and was at the, the near, near up at the top of that list, which is why you're here on episode, what will probably be episode nine, I guess, by this time this goes out. So well, I'm honored to make you know, the top 10. Good stuff. <laughs> we started with zero. So yes, you absolutely make the top 10 by either criteria. But, you know, of course, we have to index from zero being being who we are, right? Um, cool, cool, cool. Well, you know, I mean, I, we've talked a little bit about this, uh, uh, but you know, the show is organized loosely, I will say around two concepts, getting smarter and making things, hence the name or hence the show, I suppose, since the name came first. Um, and like I said, you know, you are somebody who pretty much every time I've talked to you has had interesting, insightful, um, quite often amusing things to say about, uh, those topics and who I think has a pretty, um, like like your life involves those things in a in a fairly significant way. Uh, I, I I believe that's fair to say about you. I, I believe you would agree. Is that is that accurate? Um, sure. Yeah, sure. <laughs> sure. I know. That I know. Right. <laughs> it does sound good. But no, I think it's really true. I mean, you know, as an example, uh, the first time that we we did a show, I believe we talked about um, you uh, making robots, which is a thing that you have have done. Maybe maybe still do some of or you know will do again at some point and and obviously that is a an exercise both fast uh, fascinating in both the um manufacture of physical objects but also in the the, sort of the intellectual um uh you know heavy lifting you've got to do to make all that kind of thing work so um great stuff yeah no i i wish i could well i'm not quite ready to get back to it i like went through my robot phase and then i kind of pivoted to kind of the getting into the AI and machine learning part mm-hmm. of it again, but I do have plans really when I retire, I want to, I want to be known as, you know, that crazy lady with too many robots uh, <laughs> instead of cats, you know, we'll just uh, uh, put the sure. robots in. Maybe a robot cat or two thrown in. Maybe for the, a robot for the cat or two. Yeah, um, well, I, I'm curious. I mean, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because you, you, as you kind of said, it was a, it was a, a, a period that you're not kind of deeply exploring right now, but um, I think it's really interesting. It remains interesting. We've talked about it before. Um, what about robotics grabs you and what, what, what makes it the kind of thing where you're like, uh, I definitely want to come back to this. Like, is there something? I, I think could- it's, yeah, it, it's, it's really, I mean, there, I think with, with all programmers, you get kind of this, um, you know, jazzed up feeling when you finally get something to run. And you mm. make something, right? You know, software. But I think with hardware, it just comes to life that much more. It's not only, hey, I got this program to run, but hey, I got this robot to move across the floor. And it's in like real life. It's in 
it's reified <laughs> code, mm-hmm. which um, is just super cool. And it's also a lot more challenging. I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm curious about that, right? Because I think um, one of the things you that I've seen in talking to people about these subjects is, you know, that people are very willing to heap praise on others in their sort of hobby fields. Oh, I'm just an amateur. Oh, I'm, I'm not a real woodworker. I've had, you know, various guests say when in fact they've made, you know, beautiful or useful objects out of, out of wood themselves. Um, so you say it's harder. Do you think that's really true or is it that because you haven't made it like, uh, you know, your, your job, that you're just not able to spend as much time on it and therefore it has that element of challenge to it? Or, or is there something about robotics you think that's in, inherently difficult compared to whatever you're comparing it to, presumably the, the work uh, that you do as part right. of your day job? Yeah, yeah. So I think it, it, it's inherently difficult just because of the mismatch between analog and <laughs> computer programming. Mm. Uh, you, you know, it's, you've got all those real-life variables that you've got to map onto this nice clean um, software programming system uh so Wait, that your your programming <laughs> systems are nice and clean well compared to the digital you know <laughs> gotcha, i could write gotcha. a function that says you know move forward <laughs> but right but, but, <laughs> and that will you know execute but the actual translation of that into moving a physical thing that's got ears and friction with the floor and might not have the screw turned in all, you know, there's like so many variables in addition to the code that um, it's, it's a lot of complexity, but, and then you have the whole, the whole different field and then there's so much to know about that. I am obviously not an expert, um, you know, in electronics mechanics, you know, if you really want to build big robots, which would be super cool, um, you'd have to know like hydraulics, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. then you'd yeah. have to know how to, uh, you know, 3d print your things and machine tool. The, so there's like so much more, uh, to making things that interact with the physical world. Yeah, totally. I mean, I've been getting a little bit into machining, uh, myself, you know, starting to, you know, I've, I've made an attempt. Actually, my my YouTube channel is a rather humorous attempt. I made at uh, 3D printing pulleys, which failed, right? For for totally analog reasons, it was exactly the kind of thing you're talking about, where the the gullies in the in the teeth between the teeth were probably you know a few thousandths of an inch too shallow, and the whole thing just didn't work in a subtle way. Well, didn't you? Um... I seem to remember, didn't you have like a chair that you had like hooked up to a flight simulator? I mean, isn't that kind of the same thing? Uh, It it is. And and so uh, (laughs) I brought you on to talk to you, but you just put a quarter in me. So I will uh, will go off on the G seat a little bit because it is a a project I want to bring back up. And I think it's interesting to talk about um, about the ways in which it didn't work. Cause I think it's, it's relevant to what you were talking about. So, so the, the basic concept for those of you that aren't familiar is so flight simulation is one of my hobbies or has been one of my hobbies. I've actually kind of set it aside for the moment due to um, family demands, not really being especially compatible with, you know, uh, jumping on the computer at nine o'clock at night, flying a three hour mission, and then being too jazzed up to sleep for an hour and a half afterwards. <laughs> um, but I did build this thing called a, or start to build this thing called a G seat, which I totally took from a, 
uh, a guy named Bergeson. I'm afraid I've forgotten his first name, but the, you can go look for Bergeson GC and you'll see the amazing work he's done. And I thought I'll make my own little version of this. So it's basically a chair that has kind of two movable flaps in the seat and then two movable flaps in the back that's hooked into the computer such that when the aircraft, say, accelerates in a forward direction, uh, the flaps in the back would would sort of m- collapse such that you would sink back into the seat, giving the sense of G-forces, hence the name G-seat. And so I spent a good 200 hours building this thing and uh, got really into it, and it didn't work. And I'm pretty sure that I have only recently learned the things that would allow me to succeed. For instance, I was not using... Um, shielded cables that ran from the uh, the potentiometer that I was using down to the board. And so there's probably a lot of noise from the motor. And so mm-hmm. learning how to properly shield cables and isolate ground circuits are things that I picked up from a project that I did uh, more recently called the electronic lead screw, which is a uh, electronic motor controller for my, um, my metal lathe. Um, and so I'll probably go back to it and, you know, carry those lessons in um, but it's, it's really interesting in the light of what you were talking about, because, you know, this is very much an analog circuit kind of problem. And I think, uh, you'll appreciate this. My attempted solution at the time, kind of before I gave up, um, for reasons I don't even remember anymore, um, <laughs> maybe just too much effort put into it in too little time. Um, but was to move from a potentiometer, uh, to a rotary encoder to do position sensing. Um, oh. which is essentially transforming a, uh, analog problem into a digital one. <laughs> right? So like kind of the programmers cheat. Uh, but of course then I ran into problems with, um, you have to be able to read those things really quickly unless you have dedicated what's called quadrature, quadrature decoders for reading them and reading them on Arduino quickly enough to make sense of something that could be, um, anyway, it was a whole thing. I, I'm already falling back into the memory hole of details and, <laughs> and boring everybody. But uh, yeah, it was a really interesting project. And, um, but it, it very much is to what you were saying, we're like making a thing move. Like when I actually, actually, I think you were there, I brought it down to the Cognitech offices when we came down and did a get together and I was playing around with it and, uh, you know, getting the motor to like spin when I typed into the computer was super, super cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Definitely. I just have this, uh, image of you trying to debug, the flight chair, <laughs> and, you know, having it like go all the way back. Or oh something. yeah. <laughs> like yep. That. No, the big one was overshoot. Like you would tell it to go, you know, kind of back to the middle and it would go way forward and then realize it was too far forward. And then so it would just go, you know, just like sort of hammer you into submission. I mean, I, I was not generally testing. I never got to the point where I was testing it while um, sitting in it because, you know, one of the things is the motors need to be power enough to lift you up a little bit, right. Or for this thing to work. And so, I was a little bit careful about all that, but, uh, but yes, had quite, you don't a, want any quite back injuries. <laughs> no, that's right. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I want to turn the conversation back to you. I, it's, I, I, I by the way, this is a, a nod towards your really excellent job in being the host of the Cognicast after I'd left the company and that you are, see, you, you made me, you made me talk about myself. That's, that's <laughs> good stuff right there. You should do a podcast. If you're, you're not, you're not doing one currently, are you? No, <laughs> uh, you should. I think it'd be great. I would subscribe. Right. Um, but I do want to turn the conversation back to you. And so, like like I said, this show is really open. I, we didn't sit down beforehand and say, hey, let's talk about this, 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 and this. It really is I, – I just really enjoy, you know, having a conversation with um, with interesting people, um, and you certainly qualify. So, But, you know, we do have this sort of seed question, which is, you know, uh, talking about making and talking about learning – 
Um, and, uh, I, I am always torn on which one to start with. You can certainly take it to whichever one of those you want. But I'm curious, what what are you learning, uh, Karen, lately? What's been what's been occupying your your learning brain, if anything? Yeah. So, uh, the, you know, the, you've got your your work learning brain mm-hmm, sure. <laughs> and then your, uh, you, you know, other personal hobby learning brain. Uh, they, sometimes they mesh. Sure. Uh, but, you know, sometimes. Uh, they're they're more distinct. So uh, at work, where I'm working is Reify Health right now. Um, you know, we're just going through uh, an incredible growth stage. So there's like so much to do. And uh, just to give you a quick background, it's um, it, we, we make software and services that help um, pharmaceutical companies and um, also the people that do the the trials get those to run more effectively because. Um, our founders realized that we have the technology now as humans to <laughs> make cures for diseases a lot faster than we have time and processes to get them through clinical trials. So that's mm-hmm. really the bottleneck. And we saw that, right, with yeah. um, COVID. Um, and that's it doesn't just apply to that. It applies to like breast cancer, Alzheimer's, you know, just all those horrible diseases that there's new potential cures in the pipeline that we could get them the good ones to people that much faster. um, If we could improve that process. That's awesome. I mean, when I, I've said this before, but when I was looking for a job, um, I had a bunch of criteria. They were probably somewhat similar to yours. You know, I wanted to work with a team of engineers who were, you know, going to push me um, working with technologies that I enjoy. And one of the criteria was um, doing good. And I've actually talked on the show a little bit before about how I think that uh, at, at Kevill, we actually are, um, you know, making the advertising world better. But uh, but I kind of what I had in mind at the outset was, you know, stuff like cure cancer, right? Like the classic do good. And that's exactly the kind of stuff you're working yeah. on. So that's fantastic. Yeah. So, so, so I guess going back to the learning, um, uh, you know, you know, I love I love closure, and we're definitely doing uh, a lot of closure. But I've been stretching my skills in, in areas of actually doing system stuff, like with Terraform, and you know, building out pipelines. Of uh, I'm on the data team, so we're we're looking and getting our um, data pipelines through, so we can help do stuff, interesting stuff with like AI and machine learning and data warehousing and all that. Um, so that's my kind of work <laughs> stuff that I've been mm-hmm. stretching my, um, and maybe it is a natural progression that you start off kind of like at the code level and then your, your, um, your horizon just gets bigger. Right. And you just start thinking of systems and pipelines and I guess it's one natural progression. The other, cause I've seen other people that can just dive down into like details, like nuance down to the, you know, networks and. So I guess it's, it's, it's any way you want to grow. <laughs> mm-hmm. I guess I'm, I'm growing systems way right now, which is, mm-hmm. um, which is nice. So on the other side of that and the personal research area, I've always been kind of interested in, in AI and done a lot of um, research into it with following the deep learning and machine learning. Um, but oh man, that stuff, it moves so fast. And to be honest, I've been a little frustrated late, lately with it because there just seems to be so much churn. Uh, I think there was a lot of big fundamental breakthroughs maybe like five years ago, you know, when deep learning was really new. Mm. 
But now it just seems to me anyway, that there's a lot of turn on, um, on not as much breakthrough, but pushing it in the thing of we've got this new model based off this other model. We've tweaked it to be, you know, 2% more accurate, or we've done this, you know, if we begin on the scale of Google that nobody else can touch. I mean, nobody can get Mm. as much um, data as them. Um, They've got this incredible new model or open AI that, you know, that's another area to talk about with their GitHub co-pilot. I know nothing about what you're talking about. I mean, I I don't really follow machine learning. So what's open AI? Okay. So open AI um, was originally a company that did research on artificial intelligence, deep learning models with the aim that it was all going to be open. And they, they wrote to their credit, they wrote a lot of um, research papers and made them public. But then, and, and I'm sure you kind of remember this, they have, they, they released GPT-3. Um, uh, no, which, but go ahead. Okay. Yep, go ahead. So G, yeah. GPT-3 was the, the model that you could make chatbots or generate text that, gotcha. that seemed to be human-like. And mm-hmm. in a lot of the, the tests, it was really, really human-like. You couldn't, if you gave it a prompt and said, generate me an essay for my high school paper on George Washington, you know, there would be, <laughs> you know, it, it, it'd be, it'd be pretty good. And uh, okay. they, 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 despite it being, named OpenAI, they decided to keep, not release the model and keep it closed source because they, quote, thought it would be too dangerous to release. Gotcha. Um, And, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's true. Maybe, maybe that wasn't, but people could use it for, you know, chatbots, disinformation on the web, uh, you know, however, however people want to evilly use that. Um, So they kept the model closed source. And, and that was fine. That was their decision to make. But uh, in, in the meantime, other people were trying to recreate it and they have somewhat made open source models of it. So it didn't stop it. It just slowed it down a little bit. Mm-hmm. But then uh, I believe Microsoft <laughs> bought the license to that model and Microsoft and GitHub then released this GitHub Copilot, which basically you give it a code comment and it generates the code for you. Oh, wow. And and in just about any language. But how they yeah. got that was by crunching up all the code on GitHub. Right. I do remember this now that you mention it. Yes, yes, yes. Continue though. Yeah. So <laughs> so that that's um kind of suspect there. So people are arguing whether you know that's you can really use that and you know yeah. it, there's all sorts of interesting questions that are going to keep lawyers busy about it. Right. What's a derivative work in, you know, into copyright law, right? That's an important term. And <laughs> I read all the source code on the internet and then I made a thing. <laughs> Is that a derivative work? I mean, I don't know if it was a machine that did it instead. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. So there, there have been people that pointed out, you know, if you give it a certain prompt, it'll um, recreate code that is not open source sure. um, copyright. And of course, you know, Microsoft didn't let any of their code be, be scanned. Mm. <laughs> that was closed source. So anyway, they're, I guess they're gonna, they're gonna work that out or, 
or not. So this is a, this. I mean, I, this is interesting, and it actually uh, leads me to a question that I'm gl- I, I'm glad I thought to ask you because I think your perspective would be great. So I I've, I'm, I don't really follow um, AI or machine learning, not really, but I've been interested in you know just as a person who uses makes computers do things and you know thinking about what the, the trajectory of might look like and so one of the things that you run into if you if you spend a little time looking into this is um the notion of ai safety research right this this for those that aren't familiar you know um when if and when machines achieve human level intelligence or even beyond which you know nobody can say for sure if that'll happen but you know let's just assume for a moment that it does um what does that mean you know for for humans and more to the point, like, shouldn't we be doing some work that makes sure that uh, if there are choices to be made that we can make now, that leads to a good outcome? Um, you know, I mean, I think to be to reduce it kind of to a ridiculous extreme, right? Like, wouldn't it be nice to have the robots just sort of take care of us, right? <laughs> you know, and like take care of our every need. Okay, great. If that's one outcome and another outcome is, you know, Terminator. <laughs> right. Like then how do we sort of steer things in the directions of the first thing? And so um, I would love to hear from someone who's, you know, spends a lot of time thinking about machine learning, um, what your perspective is on the state of AI safety research or the importance of it or whether it's even really a thing that we should be worried. Just like that whole area is oh, interesting yeah. to me. I, yeah. yeah. I mean, it is, it's a huge area right now. And actually, uh, this trust, trust in AI and in machine learning models is probably the one biggest hurdle that is holding back that in healthcare and um, health related applications. Do, right? Do you now. mean that people don't trust them or? Yeah, yeah. Just okay, uh, okay. trying trying to to figure out how to make them um, both interpretable. Like if, if it gives you a wrong answer, can you even figure out why? Right. <laughs> and, um, you know, trustworthy, you know, uh, I guess the, the analogy of the Iron Man suit, you know, it should it should enhance humans and, um, mm. you know, rather than being just a separate thing that does its own, you know, that that sort of mentality um, and safety that you have safety checks in place as you go along, as you're training it, as you're developing, as you've deployed it, as you're, you know, reassessing it constantly. Is it still accurate? Is it, is it doing the same thing that you originally trained it to as the world of data changes around it? Is it, it's not a static thing. Um, So Mm. yeah, there's, there's totally um, interesting questions there and also amusing failures. (laughs) So uh, another another story from COVID that just came out, I think it was an MIT technology report that I saw this on, but they had um, tons and tons of uh, COVID related uh, machine learning models and people, a lot of people getting involved and a lot of people trying to help. Right. Uh, But they were doing so mostly just by like combining data sets (laughs) and just plopping machine learning models onto data without really having a core understanding of that data and working with the clinicians, um, you know, or the medical doctors and where this was happening. And um, as a result, they did 
a huge study on some of the models that came out of this. And most models were not, A, not very useful, and some were just downright wrong. They had some models that had ended up, they were training it on some text, some optical text, and they picked up on the font that the hospital is using. <laughs> so <laughs> it associated the font with the hospital is using with high COVID cases with COVID. So if you were using that font, it would say, hey, you probably have a COVID patient. <laughs> I'm picturing like a really gothic, like curly, you know, like ominous looking font. Well, yeah, I mean, come on. Like if it says COVID in those lettering, well, of course it's going to be worse. Yeah. So it's just, it's, it's a tough problem and, yeah. and people, people are taking a lot of time and tackling it and there is a lot of promise, but uh, you know, it's the, the, the risks of machine learning models and AI without putting thought into it is the worst case is garbage in garbage out. And mm-hmm. then you've got so much complexity, you can't tell what is going on. <laughs> so yeah. Kind of my favorite um, machine learning fail story is, uh, this is a while ago, and there's lots of these. This is just one that I liked, was uh, they had trained a model up to recognize pictures of wolves. You know, so you could show it a picture, and this is, it was pretty good. Like, you could show a picture of a dog, and it would know that's not a wolf. You know, okay, that's pretty good. Until they realized that what it was really picking up on the picture was snow. Right, because there right. are so many pictures of wolves with snow. You showed a picture of the wolf in the summer, it's like, that's a duck. You know what I mean? Just like nothing. Um, and yeah, so the th- and there's a bunch of people that listen to this show that are not programmers. And so I think it's uh, it's worthwhile to to elaborate a little bit on the problem that you're describing. And I'm sure I'll do a poor job if you can correct me. But like the the problem with these things is that when when you or I write sit down to write a piece of code in some programming language in the normal way, when we're done there's a thing like a document, a text file that we can look at and point to. And and we, you know, we can understand all the parts of it. Even if somebody else wrote it, although that makes it harder with machine learning. I, and actually it'd be interesting to hear you say whether this is still 100% true or whether it's starting to be different. We don't get that. What we get is like a big um, sort of, uh, I mean, I guess you could think of it as like a spreadsheet full of just numbers and you poke in, you know, you type in some number up in cell a one then you scroll all the way to the right and down past millions of numbers that are all <laughs> related formulas, right? Like in this huge tangled mess and you go over to, you know, ZZ1078 and it says seven. And you're like, there's the answer right there. But there's no, like no place where you or I as a human can look at that giant Excel spreadsheet with every cell connected to, you know, 50 others and numbers just percolate through and say, oh, there's your problem right there. So first of all, have I sort of captured? Yeah, no, the, no, that's, okay. that's good. Yeah, th- there are some um, new tools that are that have been developed that can help with that. For uh, you know, image recognition, you can kind of peer into the activation mm. images, and you can see you know like a heat map <laughs> what it's focusing on when it says leopard. Is it focusing on the snow, or is it focusing? <laughs> On the spots, yes. <laughs> like what? What? What is it actually? And they have the same for like text. So mm. if you're like looking at a sentence and you want to see if it's pos- a positive sentiment, sentiment or a negative sentiment, um, you know, like I love ice cream sundays. You know, it's it probably highlight the word love for your, your positive sentiment. Mm. Um, you can 
you can kind of debug it that way, but it's not, it's definitely not as, as straightforward as uh, regular programming. Yeah. Which can be horrifically complicated. I mean, I'm sure you have, as I have spent weeks attempting at one time or another, attempting to understand why a particular thing is happening the way it is in a, in a body of code that is written in a language intended to be read by humans. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. And then, uh, you know, just kind of going off on the different problems that you have. I mean, even if you have, if you've solved, if you've magically waved a wand and you've magically fixed all those problems. So you've got a, you've got a model that's trustworthy. Uh, you know, it, it behaves exactly like it should. It's, it's great. So how, how do you then use that? Um, like in the, in the self-driving example <laughs> mm. of deciding where to swerve, you know, that's, that's us codifying moral right. judgments, which, you know, may not be the same for every culture in every country too. So it's, it's just, I mean, twins could differ on this, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, it's really interesting. I mean, you know, this is not something that's unique to machine learning, though, right? Like we've had, you know, we've had uh, software that's needed to make decisions that are life and death before. I mean, oftentimes it's more clear cut, right? Like if the robot is swinging its robot arm towards somebody's face and it could know that, then it should stop. But right. I'm sure there are, I don't, I can't have one to mind, but I'm, I'm sure that there are examples of control systems that need to deal with that kind of ambiguity and and that where some uh, engineering team somewhere has had to make a decision about how to encode those types of decisions. I think as the software gets more flexible, and of course, machine learning is a big part of that, right? Like dealing with inputs you've never seen before is is part of the promise, right? Um, yeah, I, I, I think it's always, it's always, we've always had kind of decisions, but we haven't had them so potentially up in our face and with us every day, like driving a car, you get into a Tesla car. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it can be doing for you. I mean, it's supposed to be doing auto assist, but there's so many videos of people. I don't know how they trick it. I don't have a Tesla, but they sit yeah. in the seat next to it and they have it drive them home or whatever. I, I don't know what they do, but <laughs> I, I, I was about to say, if the show ever gets really successful, Karen, I will, I will buy you a Tesla, but I just remembered <laughs> that the very first podcast we ever did, I said, I will, I will buy you a, a disco mirror ball. And I Aww, did. So I don't right. want to make, I don't want to make any promises because clearly I'm <laughs> obligated to keep them. So no promises on the Tesla. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I wouldn't mind. That would, that would you be, know, I mean, I, right. I will say I'll, I'll keep you in mind, right? Like we'll see what we can do, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I promise to only yet. use it responsibly though. Okay. Well, I believe the show check out the auto assist. to date has made a dollar 47 in Amazon affiliate links. So we're, we're still a few clicks away from a Tesla, but I'll, uh, I'll let you know. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt. You were saying very oh, no, interesting no. things before I went off. Oh, I know. I was just trying to think of. Uh, oh, so, so uh, yeah, just on my own kind of research, uh, I've been kind of pivoting away from the really big uh, AI models and that that sort of area of research because I can't participate. Right mm. there, there, I don't have the resources. Um, it's just too big for me. Uh, but I think just for the industry too, that there's been so much attention on the deep learning models there. And 
other people have said this too. That's only a small slice of the possible ways that intelligent and artificial intelligence systems can work. There are so many other approaches out there that need attention to and can be combined with the current systems or, you know, or possibly better and more elegant than the ones that we have. So I, I'm kind of looking into the more esoteric ones <laughs> right now. <laughs> I, yeah, I'd be, I'd be curious if you could maybe give a. I mean, so again, not not an expert. Like, um, if you could give us an example of one of those, and then kind of maybe explain what what a deep learning type system is, and then how it's different, that'd be great. Yeah, yeah. So um, the one of the things I'm interested in right now, it's um, it's got a cool name. It's hyperdimensional computing. Ah, cool? sounds like a Douglas Adams chapter. Yeah, okay. yeah. yeah. But they they also I don't know why, but it's got like two names. So they call it hyperdimensional community, and then maybe the name wasn't working; it wasn't like clicking with people, or maybe it was the other way around. But they have this other name, uh, VSAs for it, or vector symbolic architectures. And um, the interesting thing about this is that it uses uh, the curse of dimensionality, like high dimensional spaces, usually it's really hard to do math and everything gets more complex to work in those dimensions. And they call it the curse of high dimensionality. And they turn this around and actually find this a blessing that there are some really interesting um, statistical properties that come out of working in vector spaces of, um, you know, more than a hundred thousand. So you can have hmm. vectors of, um, you know, a million <laughs> big, but, but the interesting thing that you can do with them is that you can pick, well, it, it's kind of confusing. My brain can only really visualize three dimensions. So, you know, you've got like a vector and you've got magnitudes of the vector in like mm-hmm. two dimensions, you know, you can have a vector yeah, pointing like the length, in a circle. basically. Right. It, yep. Yep. And then you have, um, you know, the direction of vector is mm-hmm. pointing in like three dimensional space. And I'm cool with that. Right. So that's three. Yep. But then but then you can go to 10,000 <laughs> yep. and then you can go to 100,000. And, you, you, I, you know, the, the human brain, you can't really think of that Not anymore. Really, no. I, my, actually, as it turns out, my master's thesis involved uh, doing some linear algebra with 50-dimensional vectors. It was nothing as fancy as um, cursive dimensionality, but uh, I had the challenge of like, okay, 40 dimensions, what is that? How can I think about that? It was a long time ago, though. Anyway, yeah, so that's that's... 100,000. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So, crazy, so one of the interesting properties of this is that you can just pick a random uh, direction, a random vector, like a, okay. a, it's like your yep. finger pointing in any direction in 100,000 <laughs> dimensional space. Yep. You can pick any random one and then another random one. And it's nearly guaranteed to be orthogonal. Yeah. Okay. So... You can do things with this of um, assigning vectors to be symbols. So um, an example, you know, would be, you know, you have one vector for like me (laughs) and then I could have another um, vector for socks, you know, so I could say uh, another vector for likes. 
So I could say I like socks all by doing the simple addition and multiplication. Everything is a, every noun and every verb is one of these vectors. You can add them together. Every time you do an operation on it, it's still another one of these vectors. Uh, And it's all encoded (laughs) into just another one of these vectors. And then you can decode it. I see. So you're really encoding. You can code like a, like a closure map. You could encode like a closure map in these vectors and then dereference them. It's it's just really cool. How do you preserve order in that case, though? Ah, that's very, <laughs> very astute of you. <laughs> so, yeah, there there is some tricks to to actually doing order, and it kind of looks like linked lists. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So I'm sure we just lost 99% of the audience, but yeah. that's okay because I still find this absolutely fascinating. So the, I mean, to, to summarize for those that might not have spent, have, have also, those of you in the audience that did not happen to write their master's thesis on multidimensional mathematical stuff, um, basically the idea is that we, we can represent everything as effectively a big, long number. It's not quite accurate. It's a, you know, it's got more than one dimension yeah. and then you can do operations on these things to combine them. Okay. And yeah. then, then, the punchline is you could you could you could do them all with just ones and zeros too. Mm-hmm. They can all just be you know binary um, vectors too, which saves you space. Um, but yeah, so it's it's an interesting way people have done research on it that um, you can use this as an alternative. In some cases, it's not as accurate to uh, neural networks, and there's possibilities of combining it. So where you have um, the where the deep learning systems really excel at being like function approximators, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you could encode symbolic processing ah. on top of it. Is is maybe the potential for it? Sure. So it's, so it's really gotcha. it's it's really and it's also uh, very efficient and fast for how many dimensions it's working in mm-hmm. and deals with noise very well. So it's um, people are looking at it for robotics applications and just general research into. Yeah. Uh, that makes sense. Be- deep learning. Because like you were talking about words, right. And those don't really look like functions, right. It's not like if I make a word one letter longer that it has to relate in any way to the, the prior word, right. Like, um, I'm sure we could think of an example where you add one letter and the word becomes completely different. It's it's not it's not a function where like a small change in the input means some corresponding understandable change in the output. It's actually like discrete things, symbols you were saying that you're working with and that this might allow you to combine those two approaches cuz uh, am I am I capturing right, it at yeah, all? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So okay, so cool. I, th- some people have compared it to like neural network deep learning really excels at the bottom up kind of okay. things where you're starting you're starting from like base images. Yep. You know, and you're you're wanting to know is it a bird <laughs> sort of thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. I have an array of ten thousand <laughs> ten million pixels. Some of them are red. Tell me if it's a bird. Yep. Okay. But on the other other hand, then you have the pro the 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 knowledge processes that we currently have in our computer science and every domain that are these like databases that you do queries on. Um, and basically you're doing rule-based logic and prolog queries on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so combining those two ways of, of knowledge would be very interesting. 
<laughs> and I assume at this point it's a research question as to whether that will play out or pan out or not. Like with this. Oh yeah. A, with that particular architecture, yeah. definitely. It's just, it's just an interesting thing to think about. So, so Karen, I have to say like, I, this is great. It's, it's not meant, I mean, I, this is, I'm saying this as a compliment. It, you seem to be drawn to based on our, some conversation we've had, you seem to be drawn to things like this. And I'm trying to think exactly what I mean by that. Like um, it, it almost seems like it's more appealing to you if, very little is known for sure about the the thing you're exploring. Does that make any sense? Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I could have gone the research <laughs> route in yeah. my career. But actually, I don't know. I think I have more independence right now. I've always heard people, you know, maybe this is like sour grapes because I never... <laughs> never went that route <laughs> but, but uh, I do have a lot of independence that I can just change up what I'm what I'm interested sure, in right, and yeah. I don't need to you know write papers or die that sort of thing um, but then on the other hand I don't don't get a lot of time all the time to look into it I mean I have like two two papers that I I always like take my research papers and I print them out I like the mm-hmm. physical copy of them and they hang out on my desk and I look at them, <laughs> and then, <laughs> then I read them, and then I look at them again. But I always like to have like the, the printout copy of them. So I have like a couple of them sitting here, and um, you know, when I get some time, I, I look into it. But uh, I don't, I don't have as much time as, as I want to. Maybe sure. in the winter, when I don't have to do so much of my garden. Yeah. So this is a big thing for you, right? Gardening, and I, I think it's interesting to me because my wife's a gardener, and um, I feel strongly that gardening is also a making activity you know what i mean like that there's something about it that is that is similar to say going into the shop and making large pieces of wood into smaller pieces of wood or or small pieces of metal into larger pieces of metal um you know I totally but, agree. Yeah, but what is it? Because yeah. I can't quite because it seems like you if you walk up to somebody and say are they different they'd say yes but they would also say somehow they're the same, but I can't necessarily enunciate what the similarity is. What What is it? Do you have an idea? Well, I, you know, I was actually thinking about this because I was like, well, what I've been doing, I haven't like been making anything, but I have been spending a lot of time in my garden and my garden is mostly vegetables. Mm-hmm. So I'm making food. Sure. Absolutely. <laughs> and that's what my wife likes to do too. And she, and it's for her, it's like very distinct from, um, from flowers like she has mm-hmm. people that she's the school like they she's doing a garden thing with the school and some people want to grow flowers and she wants to grow vegetables and she's like no vegetables are more interesting to me not that flowers mm-hmm. are bad or whatever right. but uh but but i would i'd like to dig in this a little bit more because is, is it just that it is a thing didn't exist and now it existed or is there some more because you know like the I really, I really did pick the name of this show of the of the website, the YouTube channel. The Get Smarter and Make Stuff is very, like, it means a lot to me, and I think it's a thing that is real for other people as well. Um, there is an a, a mental and physical element to certain activities, maybe many activities, that the the blending of those two things is important right and uh and i think maybe in gardening that that's that's just it right like because i'm sure i'm not a gardener i like my kids ask me 
what type of tree is that? And my answer is, I don't know. Let's kill it. And I can tell you, right? Because <laughs> I'm a woodworker and I don't know what the insides of them look like. But um, so I'm not a gardener, but like I look at it and I go, that seems like the sort of thing that is the same as the things I'm interested in, right? Like there's a, there's a mental aspect to it. Maybe is there, is that's maybe one small question I could ask you. Is there a mental component to gardening that is important about the activity to you? Because I'm sure there is a mental component. Like you have to think yeah, about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I really got into it uh, our our last COVID year. <laughs> I mm-hmm. mean, um, you know, during uh, isolation and, <laughs> yeah, and all the craziness, yeah. anxiety that was going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. just going out and being able to connect with nature and being taking care of something and like seeing it sprout (laughs) and finally you put all this time and energy into it and you get an ear of corn Mm -hmm. you know it's just so beautiful when it works but like uh working with you know analog machines there there's all sorts of world out there that you can't control so you can't control when a storm comes and blows your corn down flat Mm-hmm. You know, you've been working so hard on it and come out the next morning and it's flat. But the cool thing about this, I realize you don't have to stand it back up. It'll stand itself back up. <laughs> <laughs> it just like slowly like writes itself and it gets back up there. But there's all sorts of things, you know, stuff comes in there and wants to eat your stuff in the garden too. I got to deal with chipmunks. I got to deal with rabbits. I got to deal with raccoons. <laughs> mm. Um but and then knowing what grows well in in your area, um, what it, what is your particular soil type? What is your microclimate? Um, there's just so many variables. What? How much time do you have to take care of it? Mm-hmm. Um, there's all sorts of planning that goes into it. I think there are so many uh, parallels that you could take from growing a garden in in so many ways you could take what you've learned to project management <laughs> to mm-hmm. um you know a software how you write software um there's so many parallels and skills that translate but at the end of the day you have something tangible you have a carrot mm-hmm. <laughs> you have you have tomatoes that you can share with people I, I really can't, I can't do that with my software that I write every day. I mean, you can share software, but you know, most of the time it isn't re- well, as well received as a nice fresh tomato that you've grown. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> For sure. It's different. It's a different thing. I mean, food is very, like, that's pretty old, right? Like we've, we've been doing food for millions of years, obviously, and software for slightly less of that. Um, so I, I guess what I'm hearing you say, and I wonder whether you can speak to whether this sounds accurate is one of at least one of a couple things one is um that there's a notion that a a thing came to exist by your skill right so that's like a place i could see where i could say um say woodworking and gardening in in both cases Mm -hmm. there's an object and that object would not exist were it not for my efforts so that's one thing um and then the other thing and it sounds like you basically agree with that uh, maybe you can comment more but the, the other thing is before i forget is so that's this is the get smarter like for me it's that i acquired knowledge or a skill right and so that's like part of the process that i enjoyed it's not just that i made a box it's that uh, you know last week i didn't know how to make a box and this week 
I know how to make a box. And I made a box as a way to acquire that. But like, it's almost like the, um, the acquisition of the skill is an end as well. And this is sort of the get smarter and make stuff again, right? Like the, there's the object, but then there's also the effect on me. Does that resonate at all with you? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, just it, it's, it's, I'm sure to a farmer, it would just be obvious, but (laughs) (laughs) for me, like collecting seed from my basil plant last year and then growing more basil plants from it like mm. that was just so cool <laughs> <You Yeah. know? laughs> but uh yeah i didn't know that before i didn't know how to collect basil seeds and then save them for the next year it sounds obvious and and when you say it but actually going through that process and and doing it is uh, very rewarding yeah it's i mean it's an interesting thing that you say because like i think i mentioned this earlier even like a lot of us have a tendency to sort of simultaneously revel in the acquisition of knowledge. Like, oh, I'm so happy that I learned how to collect basil seeds. But then to at the same time say, oh, but other other people already knew this. This is not new knowledge in the world. It's just new in my brain. And like I've heard, you know, like I mentioned that people come on and say, well, I'm, I'm no great woodworker because I can't make chairs or, or whatever. But it I, I just find that tendency super interesting, right? And I and I, I mention it because it's a thing I want to be aware of in myself, right? To like so that I can be better at 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 recognizing that I'm taking joy from acquiring the knowledge, even if it's knowledge that I'm the last person on earth to acquire. <laughs> it's still super fun for me to acquire uh, knowledge in a lot of cases. I don't it know if that is. Makes any sense. It is. Yeah. You have to celebrate the all the little things in life, absolutely, and learning how to actually grow more basil plants and they were free like i didn't have to buy more basil plants that was really cool i'm laughing yeah go ahead yeah (laughs) yeah i could i grew like 20 i could grow 30 more and they'd all be free except for my time (laughs) exactly and i i and i I know exactly what you're talking about because like whatever i have a million hobbies and um and i make things that like could be acquired in a fraction of the effort better of to a higher degree of quality in many cases you know, quite easily but there's a I, I joke sometime that at some point it's not even really a joke that at some point in the not too distant future around here um we will be sitting down to eat bread that was made by wheat grown on our property ground with a mill that we Whoa. i'm not i mean i'm we don't have plans to do this i'm just saying like it would be served on a platter that was turned by me from a tree that grew on our property <laughs> you know baked in an oven from bricks that were clay that we dug out of the ground you know what i mean like this this sort of it's not really homesteading exactly it's it's more like we I, we joke in, in the family that our family motto is uh latin it's uh possumus ergo facemus and apologies for my pronunciation but the the translation as best I can make it is um, we can, therefore we do. And ah, okay. it's meant to be both aspirational as in, you know, like mm-hmm. you can do anything, but also just sort of this like laughing recognition that, you know, if something is possible, we're going to be like, what the hell, let's do it. Right. Even if maybe we shouldn't sometimes. <laughs> right. Um, anyway, I, I uh, sorry. That's super no, no, philosophical no. That, there. That, but. That's, that, that's, that's good. I mean, I, I do, we do the same thing. If we have, we have vegetables, like I have the salad and I'm like, these are our tomatoes and our lettuce, but not <laughs> our avocado. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So, well, that's awesome. One day I'll get a greenhouse and I can grow my own avocados too. But, 
Awesome. That's a way off in my dreams. Well, you know, we, we've always have some place to go towards, I think, and that's probably a whole other show that we could uh, talk about, <laughs> um, kind of destinations or, um, you know, arcs, story arcs, maybe. I don't know. might be a way to look at it. <sighs> so many things. I, I, uh, I, I guess, though, we are kind of coming to the end of our hour, and I don't want to, like, keep you too long. Um, uh, it, I, we'll just have to have you back on. There's more things I want to talk about, but I feel like if we start on one of them now, it's going to be another 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> most likely uh, yeah 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 so uh um so maybe i mean i always like to leave room at the end of the show uh because i don't want to say this is where we have to stop like if there's anything else that you think we should talk about today or you think uh, that we didn't cover enough or any, anything else that makes sense to dive in we don't have to stop right the second so uh anything else we should talk about before we kind of start to draw no, down like i said so we can save it for another time sure absolutely we'll have you back on absolutely for sure always super enjoy talking to you um, well, as I've said many times, uh, I would be remiss if I did not take the advantage to ask the wonderful people that I have on this show who have so many interesting things to offer. Uh, if I did not ask them for a piece of advice, I mean, and this is, I always say it's to share with our audience, but who am I kidding, right? Like, I want your advice <laughs> for me. And so, um, fortunately, I did remember to warn you that we would be doing this, although you're well familiar with the question since I stole it from the show that you and I each hosted at one point. Uh, but that question is, of course, uh, what piece of advice would you like to share with with me? <laughs> let's just call let's just call things as they are. I, I would like to hear your advice, Karen. You I I this love stuff. this question, and okay. I I have personally learned so much from other people from asking it. But uh, I will share with you. Uh, you know, there's there's lots of things uh, that I could say, but I'm I'm going to go with the one that resonates with me most right now, which is just be kind to yourself. Mm. You know. Uh, over this past, you know, year and a half, um, you know, everyone has had such hardships and um, a lot of people, including me, have had to take on like additional family responsibilities and just haven't had as much time to devote to getting smarter <laughs> or mm -hmm. making stuff. Right. And that's okay. You know, uh, it's, it, you can give yourself time and space to have more time to do things um, at one point in your life and not, you know, have your energy and time devoted to other things <laughs> at other times. And it, again, that seems obvious, but um, no. for, for people that always think, oh, I should be doing this and I should be doing this, you know, just be easy on yourself and be kind on yourself and, and it's okay. Yeah, I, I got to say, this is the thing that I have been uh, thinking about a lot as well. It's, um, it, I, I'm trying to figure out how to put this. What, what you have said is super, super important, right? This is a thing is that I've gotten older. I like to think I'm getting smarter. One of the things that I'm getting smarter about is me, right? Like it's really important to get smarter about yourself because, you know, you're stuck with you, right? <laughs> um, and I, 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 I'm not even sure what to say. Like what you're saying, be nice to yourself is so important because I think the default is not to do that, right? Like we just, for whatever reason as humans, it's our culture, it's psychology, it's something. It's very, very easy to, to not be nice to yourself, to hold yourself to a standard um, that you would never hold anyone else to. <laughs> Certainly not somebody you liked. Right. Right. And as I, sorry, I just, I'm just like really tr trying to express how completely strongly I agree with what you're saying and how 
very difficult it can be. And so it's really great to have that reminder. That's just super, super good advice. Yeah. Awesome. Wow, Karen, that was a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So thank you for that. I mean, that's, that's great, but thank you for the whole conversation. I mean, I, you know, I, I I knew we'd have fun. It certainly was. I I hope that we can have you back on before too long and, and talk about some of those other things and hear more about, your various adventures but but thanks for taking the time today it's been great yeah to it's here. been very enjoyable so thank you for having me on awesome well i hope everybody else enjoyed that and uh took it as a little bit more inspiration to get smarter and make stuff talk to you next time you have been listening to get smarter and make stuff i'm your host craig andera Visit the show online at GetSmarterAndMakeStuff.com. That's all spelled out, all one word. Go there to subscribe to and comment on the show, read the blog, view the gallery, and find a link to the Get Smarter and Make Stuff YouTube channel. Come on by. We're also on Twitter at MakeSmartStuff. If you enjoyed the show and feel like sharing with others you think might like it too, I'd certainly appreciate it. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Next time.